Well, good morning, Living Hope Family Church, Marana. It's a, pr- it's a privilege to be here. It's a blessing to be here. And I want to compliment you on your worship. I want to compliment you on the fact that there's a bunch of people in the prayer meeting before the service began. And we certainly did not send your pastor out because we didn't need him. We could have used him. We could have kept him. We certainly, looking at what you're doing here, said, man, that would have been awesome if, if Pastor Wayne had just stayed in Tucson and never actually come out here. But the good news is that we want to send the very best that we have. And God is able to do that in the hearts of any person who's willing to say yes to him. And so you may feel that you're not okay, you don't measure up. What the world sees is not the way that God sees. And what the world commends is not what God commends. And so I want to encourage you this morning. This is a great day for us. We here, Pastor Jane and myself, I just believe that it's like proud parents. I'm watching that video and saying, man, we should have had you running our video stuff there in Tucson instead of somebody else. That video is actually shown this morning. We'll be shown at both the services at Living Hope Tucson this morning. And uh, so uh, you you guys, your celebration is being shared in by a couple of hundred other adults. And I know the kids won't get to see it because we let them go early. But a couple of hundred other adults this morning will be sharing in that and rejoicing in that. Hallelujah. All right, I know that I'm supposed to be done at what, 11 o'clock? Okay. So I have a message this morning that I want to minister to you, and it's on being significant. Being significant. Uh, there's nobody in the world who wants to just live life. We want to live life that actually has meaning. We want to live life that actually has a purpose. We want to live life that actually matters. That's normal for anybody to do that. The difference is, for us as Christians is that our pursuit is not simply to be significant ourselves, but to help other people find their significance. My life, your life, becomes more significant when I help somebody else find their purpose and their meaning in life. And so in in helping others, I actually find my own purpose. In actually serving others, I find the purpose that God himself has for me. And so I want to look this morning at the, the uh, book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is kind of a crazy book. It is filled with a lot of names and a lot of people. And Nehemiah actually means God has comforted. And I want you to know this morning that God doesn't want to comfort you simply by making you feel better. God wants to comfort you by strengthening you so that you're not torn apart in the world in which we live. And so God's process of comfort is not to emotionally assuage any feelings of insecurity that you may have. That will come. But his purpose is to go ahead and make you strong in the Lord and in the power of might. And Nehemiah is a man who lives in a culture uh, in which uh, they're rather slow to respond to God. A hundred years before, people had returned to Jerusalem, a city that had been destroyed. In fact, it goes down in history as the most often destroyed and most often rebuilt city in history, destroyed some 13 times and rebuilt 14 times. So God has a purpose with the rebuilding of that place. And of course, we know why, because a Savior, Jesus Christ, is, is born a few miles south of it and then, of course, dies just outside of it for the salvation of the world. Now, I want you to know this morning that if you're going to have the most significant kind of life, Jesus has to be the whole of your life. Because if Jesus is not the whole of your life, how will he make your life whole? He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And lordship is wholeness. To the degree that we bow the knee and say yes to the lordship of Jesus, to that degree we are whole. 
to the degree that we resist it, to that degree we resist the freedom and the wholeness that comes from the Lordship of Jesus Christ. As such, the Lordship of Jesus is not a legal, a legalistic thing which is forced upon us. It's an invitation to live the very best kind of life. And so God encourages us to come and to lay our lives down for the purpose that he has for us. Amen. It was George Bernard Shaw who said that the worst sin towards our fellow creatures is not to hate them, but to be indifferent to them. That is the essence of inhumanity. And of course, George Bernard Shaw borrowed a lot of that from C.S. Lewis, who said the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. And so when we look at Nehemiah's life, we find out that significance, if you're going to be significant, you're going to have to learn not to be indifferent. There has to be a function in our lives. I want the body of Christ to succeed. I don't want, let me, let me take it to another level. Let's talk about, I don't want America to fail. I'm an immigrant. Uh, this is, uh, I have been a United States citizen since 1999, so this is my 19th year of being a U.S. citizen. On Monday, I will have been born again for 40 years. I got saved 40 years ago on Monday. It was Easter Sunday, 1978. I was stuck away in a forest all by myself where I had a, an encounter with the living God. Changed me forever. Since that day, we've been on this path and heading towards what he has for us. But I don't want America to fail. I want America to succeed. If there's a threat to this country's success, I will go to war if necessary. I will lay down my life for it. Can you say amen? That is definitely, I will, I will, I will pay what I must do. I will do what I need to do. And that is all noble and that is good. But let me just say that there's a threat against the kingdom of God. And our first call is not to the United States. Our first call is to the kingdom of God. We serve the kingdom of God. With all my heart, I want the kingdom to succeed. With all my heart, I want to see people, men and women, boys and girls, come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. With everything that is inside of me, I want to see our neighborhoods made safe and good and strong. And I know it's only Jesus who can do that. Unless the heart of man is changed, man will not be what we desire him to be. You can't do it from the outside in. It must come from the inside. It is the secret of the success of the new life, that if you first clean the inside of the cup, the outside will become clean also, are the words of Jesus to us. So the problem is not solved from taking care of the outside in, and that many of us are deceived into thinking that is the case, but the renewed life must begin to flow through us and begin to tear, tear down all of the other things that are stuck on. We're not battling with old stuff. We want to let the new life flow through us. Amen? And so if I'm going to make a difference in the world, you know that 82% of people in our streets right now, if we invited them to come to church next Sunday, would say yes. The problem is only 2% of Christians will invite anybody for next week's service. That is a problem. That is a big problem. Why, why, why would we do that? Don't we really believe in the success of it? Don't we really believe in it? You see, Nehemiah, God made promises to the nation of Israel, and now they're living in a foreign country. They're living in Babylon. They stuck away. Ezra left a hundred years earlier, and they've rebuilt the temple, but the walls are torn down. The place is lying desolate. And he's, um, he's a man who cares enough to ask. Do we have slides? He, he, he cares enough to ask. And I believe that that's an important uh, aspect of uh, life. Do you care enough to ask? Do you care enough to ask difficult questions? What are those difficult questions? Well, uh, in chapter 1 of Nehemiah, Chapter 1, verses 2 through 3. Hanani, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came and asked them concerning the Jews 
who had escaped and had survived the captivity, and about Jerusalem. And they said to me, no problem. I'm good. They said to me, the, I can adjust the level for my eyesight this way. They said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. Do you know that the body of Christ is in great distress and reproach right now? Do you know that we're made fun of? Do you know that people think that Christians are actually nuts? That when our vice president said that God spoke to him each day, that somebody went on the view and called him insane. And yet when Martin Luther King Jr. said that uh, I, that God has spoken to me, I will see the promised land by which he meant the fulfillment of that unrealized promise of equality for every man, woman, and child in the United States. I, I believe that we're living in an age where people just don't understand what it is that we represent. That's no reason for us to stop what we represent. It is a greater challenge to us to continue to shine it more clearly so that it cannot be misunderstood or that it, if, if it is going to be misunderstood, it's going to be misunderstood through dishonesty and not through a lack of presentation of the truth through our lives. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province, verse 3, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and the gates are burned with fire. You know that we're not defined in our lives by what we hear. We're defined by what we're willing to ask. In other words, the questions that we ask make the defining thing about our lives. I've asked, asked hundreds of people in my life, how are you doing? Because that's my first question as a pastor. How are you doing? What's going on in your life? How, how is it, what is happening? Very seldom, almost invariably, Without exception, nobody asks me, how are you doing? And I gather by that that most people don't actually ask anybody, how are you doing? Some people say, well, I don't want to pry. Prying is part of your ministry. It is part of your life. It's why Jesus left the well, said to the woman, where is your husband? Well, I don't want to pry. But prying is part of your calling, okay? You will never realize the call of God on your life if you don't learn how to pry. People are blessed that you thought enough of them to actually ask the question. And yet he says, what's going on? Nehemiah was living in a position of comfort, but he did not allow it to neutralize what God had called him to do. We live in comfort. We live better than the rest of the world. Most people do not enjoy what we enjoy. And yet some of us are in the habit of saying, well, I can't really do the things that I need to do. I can't really get involved. Is that true? People always tell me, oh, Pastor Mike, we really struggle to give. I understand it's a struggle to give, but it's not really the struggle to give, it's the struggle to get the priorities right. Do you know that, you know that, that most of us will buy lunch, uh, and the effect of that is 10 bucks a day. It's about $3,000 per year that we are spending on lunch. And we're doing $3,000 a year because we don't want to learn to make sandwiches. You, a lot, most of us in here go to five bucks, I mean Starbucks. And you spend, and you spend five bucks a day on your favorite coffee drink, which is not really coffee, but anyway, that's another thing. I told everybody, my personal opinion is that Starbucks is very holy coffee. It has to be because they burn the hell out of it every single time. It has got to be the toughest tasting stuff I have ever had in my life. All right. They called me the cussing pastor in New York when I talked like that, but that's not what I really mean. If you took away your five bucks, and you used it instead for something else, uh, that would be $120 a month 
and a little over $1,060 per year. We've just given you $4,060 that you could use for the sake of the kingdom of God through a little bit of inconvenience. Don't tell me you don't have money. You're an American. The issue is not that we don't have. The issue is we don't have a priority that directs it. But you and I are not here just simply to serve ourselves. Amen? And same, the same with Nehemiah. He wasn't there to just serve himself. He began to ask questions. Asking questions is dangerous. When people look at me and say, so how are things going? I said, those are dangerous questions. Are you, are you ready for the answer? Because with the answer comes obligation. And comes opportunity. Correct? A lot of people don't want to ask tough questions because they don't want to have discomfort. Now let's move on to something lighter. There is nothing lighter that is of significance. If everything is light and fluffy, your whole life is insignificantly fluffy. And God wants to make it something that is powerful. Can we say amen? So he was living in Jerusalem. He'd never even, sorry, he was living in, in, in Susa. He'd never even seen Jerusalem and he'd never seen anything else. But the next thing, uh, we find out about him is, uh, that he was concerned enough to weep. He was concerned enough to ask questions. He was concerned enough to weep. He cared enough to cry. Now it came about when I heard these words, I sat down. And I wept and mourned for days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. When God puts a burden on your heart, don't try and escape it. When God puts a burden, don't try and talk your way out of it. When God puts a burden on your heart, don't develop your excuses. Embrace it as a call. Embrace it because your burdens are your calling and they are your destiny. It is what God wants you to do. If you see a need, God's calling you to fill it. If you see something that needs to change, then God's calling on you to be the agent to make the difference. When was the last time we wept about something other than our own pains and disappointments? Nehemiah cried for the condition of his people. He cried for the condition of the church. We need more people like that. We need more people that actually are so concerned that they will allow themselves to be emotionally connected with the success or failure of the call of God and the purpose of God for the church of God. Rispa was one of uh, Saul's concubines, and uh, she wasn't even the mother of the five boys who were put to death uh, during the time when King David took over. But the Bible says that for six months, she protected their bones from the birds of the heavens. She cared enough about somebody else's children that she didn't abandon them. She stayed there, and she was there day and night. And it moved David so much that he went and acted and did what was right and allowed them to be buried and in the end, the Bible says that blessing came to the country. When people care, then blessing can come. When people care about the condition, then blessing can come. The next thing we find out, he didn't just care enough to weep. He cared enough to pray. He said, I beseech you, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. I want you to see Nehemiah is not a religious guy. He doesn't have a title, but he does know how to pray. In fact, the book of Nehemiah tells us he prays 11 times. He's a government worker, and he's praying. He doesn't have the title of, you know, he's the guy who runs the prayer part at all. You can pray no matter what it is. The first thing is to care enough to ask, care enough to weep, care enough to pray. I beseech you, O Lord of heaven. And then he continues, loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. I'm so glad he didn't approach God in a prayer meeting with an attitude of being a victim. He didn't say, we've been beat up, we've been let down, where were you, 
Why didn't you help us? He knows that God has a covenant. He knows that the reason there's a problem is because they didn't keep their side of the covenant. It's not that God abandoned them. It's that they have abandoned God. It's not that God is not interested in them. It's that they are not interested in God. And he recognizes and he asks, you know, he said, verse 6, Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now, day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you. I and my father's house have sinned, and we have acted very corruptly against you, and we have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances, which you have commanded your servant Moses. And he continues. Remember the word which you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though those of you who have been scattered were in the the most remote parts of the earth, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Then he continues again, he says, O Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name and make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. That's the first chapter of this book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah suddenly realized, you know, my condition and my position and everything else and all of the excuses that I have. Thank God he actually knows the word of God. You see how he quotes it in his prayer? He says, you have said that if we disobeyed you, we'd be scattered to the, the, the remote parts of the earth. But if we came back and we you would restore us again. And so he recognizes that God has given a promise of restoration. Return to me and I will return to you is what the book of James says. He cleanse your hands, you sinners, and, and, and your, your hearts, you double-minded. And turn to the Lord for he will have abundant compassion upon you. These are the... These are the realities of what he is. So here he is, and this man is about to sacrifice his comfort, his security, his guaranteed income. Instead of having all of his needs met, he's going to move from having his needs met to taking care of other people's needs, to going ahead and making a difference in somebody else's life. I always share with the church, you know, some people tell me they come to, Pastor, I just come to this church because I get fed. Some people tell me in, in Tucson, they say, I come to this church because I get fed. And I thought about it for a while. I thought, no, no, you're not really in fellowship if you just show up and get fed. Now, you expect to get fed. That is a right expectation. Okay? All right. Very good. Don't shout me down now. All right. <clears throat> That's a good expectation. I go to, I go to fries because I want to get fed. But I don't, I, I'm not in fellowship there because I'm not interested in the success of fries. I'm interested in getting my belly full. Amen? Too many people, unfortunately, are like going to fries. They go to church like they go to fries. They just want to get their belly full. Not interested in whether it succeeds or fails. Not interested in whether it has an impact or not. Not interested in whether it makes a difference. Don't know the names. I don't learn the names of the people in fries. You know, I don't invite my, them. Oh, oh, thank you so much for helping me at the checkout. Why don't you come over to my house for dinner? That would be kind of an odd experience, right? Why? Because of the attitude that is there. I don't share their corporate goals. I just want to get my food on the table. Amen? But when I change over into that, and my attitude now is not something to have my own needs met. My, my attitude here is that I want, what the, I want the kingdom of God to succeed. I want to see the fulfillment of the promise. I want to see God's word 
lifted up and I want to see people's lives touched and changed. That is where Nehemiah says, you know what? Here am I, Lord. Send me. And he doesn't talk first to the king. He first speaks to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Like I said, he doesn't practice victimology. He's just deeply honest. Holy ambition. Prays, studies the word, and then acts. If you have prayed, if you have heard the word, the next thing for you is to go ahead and act. And how did he act? He risked his life for the cause. You know, the people who signed the Declaration of Independence, at the bottom of it, it says, to this, we pledge our lives, our treasure, and our sacred honor. To what are we pledging our lives, our treasure, and our sacred honor? They set about with a vision for government that would certainly challenge all of the world's concept of what can be done through ordinary people. Because the idea was that specialized people should run nations. That people who had long histories of being specialized should do so. But the reality is that the common people, everyday people like you and me, are able to do supernatural things. We can do the extraordinary. He's a, we are able to do it. And so uh, here in Nehemiah chapter uh, 2, we find out, uh, uh, the king said to me, why is your face sad? You know, when you come into the presence of a king, you're not allowed to be sad. In those days, if you had a sad face and you were like the Debbie Downer for the area and you showed up, the king would order you to be beheaded. You'd basically, lose your joy, lose your head. So everybody's smiling and happy and there's no problems anywhere. But here's a man who recognizes that that attitude is just not going to fly anymore. He can't be like that. So he goes against the culture. He does something that is culturally unacceptable and could cost you your life. When you get saved, you become culturally unacceptable. Instead of looking out for number one, instead of looking out for your interests and your your purposes and your plans and everything, now you're concerned for the kingdom of God. You're concerned for the lordship of Jesus Christ. You're concerned for the success of the kingdom of God. There's a big turnaround in the attitude that we have because we don't serve ourselves. We serve him. We, we, we're not here to glorify ourselves. We're here to glorify him. We're not here to enjoy ourselves. We're here to enjoy him and to lift him up. Amen. And so the king said to me, why is your face sad though you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. And then I was very much afraid because he thought, well, here it comes. If he's mad, I'm there. And I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? You know that faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And you know how much faith you're in by how much risk you're taking. Problem is, most of us are risk-averse. Yet America is an example of people who were willing to risk their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. What are we willing to risk for an idea? And our idea is far more lofty than that of nation building. Can you say amen? What are we willing to do? So we know that he had prayed in the first chapter, and he waited four months before he did this. And there's a great thing that happens here. So he speaks to the king. He says, okay, I'm going to need some time off. You'll forgive me if I don't read all of this. Is that okay? I only have five minutes. He says, I'm going to need some time off. I got 15 minutes. Okay. But I got lots more to do. <laughs> I need time off. If I'm going to do what God called me, I need some time off. And so he says to him, hey, 
I'm going to need some time off. Now, most of us, that would, that might not fly with your employer, right? But in his case, it did actually work. And the reason was, he had served him faithfully. You see, faithfulness releases the things that you will need in order to do what God called you to do in order to live a life of significance. If you're unfaithful, don't expect anybody to entrust you with any level of freedom to accomplish anything. Faithfulness is definitely a doorway that must be passed through if our life is going to achieve the significance that we desire. Yeah, he's telling them, he, sa- he says to him, If it please the king, your servant has found favor before you. Send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. The king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will your journey be? And when will you return? And so it pleased the king to send me, and I gave him a definite time. He said, I need time off. I'm going to need letters from you because I need authority to do and resources to do the work. If you need time off, you need authority, and you need resources, guess how all of those through faithfulness. Faithfulness means that you consistently did the right thing without changing and that you proved that you could be relied upon. Can you consistently do it and prove that you can be relied? If you're, if you feel like you're in a, in a low level job, let me just give you a little, a little secret over here. If you do your work faithfully and consistently and you can be relied upon, they will promote you to the very highest level because they don't know it, but you should that when they give their job description of that position, they are describing the ideal Christian. They want a man who tells the truth. They want a man who is honest. They want a man who is compassionate and merciful to those around him. They want all of those qualities that could be ascribed to a man who is accurately portraying the life of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. You know, this is an amazing thing, that Nehemiah was bold enough because he believed what God wanted. He risked his neck. Could have been killed. Bold enough to do it. You know, when you go to the mall, one of those kids is going to come running out of one of those cubicles, chase after you, because he wants to save you from a low data plan on your phone. His mission in life is to save you from the ignominy of a low plan. And for that, he's willing to look like a fool, and he's willing to look stupid, and he's willing to experience the rejection that he must have on so many occasions, by people saying, thanks, I'm not interested, and sometimes people using very different language to express that than what I've just, I've just expressed. So, uh, the, we're not trying to save people from something as miserably small as a low data plan. And yet observe the confidence that people have. They are bold for money. But they're not bold when it comes to saving people from going to a Christless eternity. We will work extra hours to meet needs. But what we will do, what, that's not for our needs, but what, will we, what are we willing to do for the needs of others? Amen? And so he tells them, I'm going to need authority, and so on. Let, kings be, let letters be given to me. And, uh, say that I, and let's go to the next one over there. He was brave enough to act. He went. He went to Jerusalem. He got up and went. He was given time off. He went. I told them, the people in Jerusalem, he says, and I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable. You know what? If you want miracles, you're going to have to take risks. The reason why we don't have miracles is because we don't need them. We have arranged our life in such a way that we don't need divine intervention. We can get by without it. If you can get by without it, 
you won't see it. But if you put yourself in a position where you must have it, it's amazing how regular the miracles are. Always remember uh, our good friend Vaughn Gerald had on his refrigerator a, a little a, a, a little plaque that said, around here we don't believe in miracles, we rely on them. And that was the attitude that, of course, would, would make sure that those would continue to happen. Amen? And so when he tells them about how God had been favorable to him, he said, let us arise. And they said, let us arise and build. So they put their hand to the good work. And when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard it, they mocked us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? I have no doubt that when people come to Living Hope Family Church Morana, that there has been mocking and there is a despising and saying, what is this that you are doing? That this is a small thing, that this is an insignificant thing, that this is a weak thing. But it's not. It's a God thing. And if it is a God thing, then it's bigger than any other thing that is in the area. And it is greater than any other thing that is done for any other reason. Amen? And so we need to understand that uh, there, there are there are a number of things that need to happen. One of the things is we need people for the work. That much Nehemiah knew. I need people for the work. I can't do it by myself. And so he came and he spoke to the followers and he said, listen, this is what has happened so far. This is what God has told me to do. I've come here to go ahead and fulfill the work. Can you say amen? And so we need to ask a couple of questions. Uh, as followers, do we listen to what our leaders say and do we share in their burdens? I wish more people would actually pick up on the fact that there is a burden. Any man or woman of God is called to do the will of God has a burden inside of their heart. It's a burden that doesn't go away. It's not something that we leave in the building when we go home at the end of the day and say, well, that's great, I don't have that burden. It's something that we have all through the night. It keeps me up at night. It wakes me early in the morning. It keeps me going when I feel like I'm mad at everybody and I just want to tell them what they can do with their attitude. But the reality of it is that burden is there. I want to make a difference. Are we clinging to our past desires or are we going to allow God to do something new? Do we put our hands and our necks to the work? Are we cooperating with the enemy and are weakening the work? Or are we have we found the job that God wants us to do and he calls on us to complete it? Amen. No matter what discouragement you face in life, it is always too soon to quit. There is never a good time to quit, and you're always too soon to quit. You can either give up, or you can wait and see what God will do. Those are the two options that come to any man or woman of God. Why are we building? The next thing I want to show you there is, I'm just going to go ahead, 217. Then I said to them, you see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate, its gates burned by fire. Come let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And then in Psalm 87 verse 2, the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwelling places of Jacob. There was one uh, humorist, British humorist, that said, I, like, I love work. It fascinates me. I can sit and look at it for hours. You know, for the most part, the world ignores the church. Even Christians ignore the church. For them, it's about God. It's about going to heaven one day. And it's about knowing their Savior. 
But Jesus made it clear that we are here for a purpose. In John 17, verse 4, Jesus says these words just before his crucifixion, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished, that means finished, the work which you have given me to do. I'm so glad, as I read that, that Jesus didn't say, I've had a great relationship with you, Father. It's not part of the prayer. It is true, but it's not part of his prayer. He's not saying, thank you for being so close to me. What he's saying to him is, I've accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Can we say that? And if we can't say that, we're definitely not ready to go. And we definitely are not in a time of life in which our lives are significant. I want to encourage you, we need a significant life. Amen. Jerusalem is surrounded by enemies. Uh, it would be foolish for them to spend all the time improving their own property and doing everything else when every part of their life was open to plunder. What point is there if we pursue personal prosperity and it can all be gone in an hour? Do you know that everything that we have can all be gone in an hour? But what we have in Jesus can never be taken away from us? Do you know that what we're doing right Most of us are planning for the future. Most of us have some plan for when we get old one day. If you don't, I'm praying for you too. Amen. But what is our plan for eternity? Amen. I'm going to close with this because I don't have any more time for it. But if I get into the next section, we're going to be here for an hour. So let me just close with this. story told of uh, a jester in the court of the king. A man whose sole function was to entertain the king by making him laugh and by giving him great joy. And uh, that was his whole purpose in life. And uh, at the end of his time when he was in, uh, before the king, the king called him to him and he gave him uh, a, a small wand and put it into his hand because he was a jester. And he said, okay, he said, here's what I want to say to you. He said, you have entertained me and you have made my life so much better by being around. So what I want you to do is I want you to go out into all of the kingdom and I want you to find somebody that's a greater fool than you. And then you can give it to them. So he accepted the challenge, took it, and then went off. A number of years later, he was summoned to the king's palace because the king had become gravely ill and uh, it was clear that his time on earth was short. And so the uh, jester arrived, they had a very close relationship, and he came into the, 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 the uh, bedchamber where the king was lying, breathing his last breaths. And uh, the king said to him, he said, I'm sad to say, he said, I am about to go on a very long journey from which I will not return. At that, the jester said to him, uh, Sir, have you made preparation for that journey? And the king looked at him with a tear running down his eye, and he said, I'm very sorry. I have not. And he said to him, Sir, then I must give this thing back to you because I have found a greater fool than what I am. And that is true for any of us. If we live life only for now, if what happens in this world is only what's happening in the moment, then we've missed it altogether. But if we understand that there is a future in which we will be there forever and ever, and that that reward will be part of our life. Then let's go ahead and understand that uh, there is a God and that he rewards those who diligently seek him.